This week in the Baseline Podcast, we are visited by Johnny Gaunt, one of the co-hosts over at the Fifth and Goal Podcast, to talk a little bit of everything that's been going on in the sports world. We open up with discussion uh, about All-Star Weekend and the Juan Soto situation going down with the Washington Nationals. We also share some uh, of our mid-season awards for the baseball season, and if or we think that they can continue to maintain that success in the second half of the season. We also branch out to discuss some of the ratings coming out from Madden's new football game and the ones that we love and the ones that we hate. And then we've ended with a little bit of discussion about Kevin Durant and if the Brooklyn Nets will decide to trade him or not. And we wrap it up with a little bit of tennis and take advantage of Johnny's expertise into a little bit of discussion about Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. But without further ado, here is the Baseline Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Baseline Podcast. A couple of things you guys will notice right off the bat here. First, we are going just audio only this week. Uh, my co-host, Ben, uh, is on vacation this week at camp, and he is still uh, been an MVP and volunteered to produce. So it'll just be me, Josh, uh, doing the audio. But it is not just me. I'm being joined today by uh, one of the co-hosts from the Fifth and Goal Podcast, Johnny Gaunt. So appreciate you coming on, Johnny. I think this is the first time Ben will ever miss an episode of the baseline since it's basically his show and i just kind of mooch off of him and his production and just talk sports with him but thank you for being a mvp and uh joining the show today so why don't you give everybody a little introduction about yourself and uh what you guys do over at fifth and goal sure yeah thanks for having me josh first off you know i uh you know met josh and ben at our you know our school, our alma mater at Cedarville in Ohio. So, you know, a lot of love for Cedarville, a lot of Cedarville people between baseline and fifth and goal, fifth and goal. We, you know, we're a sports podcast. We absolutely have a wide range and variety of sports. Uh, Talk about the weird stuff. Absolutely love getting down talking about uh, any and everything that has related to sports and things not related to sports too. So fifth and goal is a fun time. So check it out on your local, uh, you know, podcasts, what you use on your phone, Apple, Spotify, whatever you guys like to use. Fifth and goal is awesome. Love that too. Uh, endorse the baseline too. Uh, so it's, it's really, really cool. A little bit about myself. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. That means I'm a Buckeye. So, uh, you know, you're going to hear that perspective from me. Played tennis, soccer growing up, running track, things like that. But I have a wide variety and love for just about all sports that exist. So uh, you'll hear a lot going on on my end, but uh, just have that love and enjoyment for just anything that involves a field or court or a ball. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Also guys over at fifth and gold, they've had some pretty cool guests join their show guys like Joshua Perry, uh, Paul Hemakita. So yeah, I can definitely uh, endorse the fifth and gold podcast as well. Definitely check them out after you listen to this episode with me and Johnny, but Johnny, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about baseball today. We just had the all-star game. Uh, I'm not sure if you tuned into that, but I personally enjoyed it watching uh, my Cleveland Guardians slash Indians, the three representatives we had all seen the ball out. And uh, but there weren't too many views. I think it actually set some record low uh, TV ratings. But, sir, what did you think? Did you tune in? Uh, What did you think of uh, the way all-star week went? Yeah, I I tuned in and out of the all-star game. I think the all-star game for baseball actually is the probably the best all-star game. I couldn't agree more, dude. They do it professional sports. And part of that is just because baseball is easier to play casually than basketball or football. It's really, really hard for it to be a good product and to, for the defenders to be trying half-heartedly in basketball or football. It just doesn't look good, but in baseball, 
it's just a lot simpler and easier to do that. You have so many pitchers, so they're only pitching like an inning, maybe. Uh, so it's easier to rotate people in and out. The pitchers aren't as concerned then about wearing out their arms. It's just a good time. It's just a more casual game to begin with. That's why you love baseball anyway. It's not always so intense every single moment that you're at the ballpark. You can still have a conversation with people, enjoy the food, enjoy the atmosphere. Baseball is just a little bit more chill than basketball and football. And when basketball and football are overly chill, it honestly just isn't a very good product. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, Josh. Uh, what do you make of the AL's dominance over the NL and the All-Star game? Because I, I, I can't really understand why that's the case maybe with the DH beforehand, but I, I just don't, I can't figure out why exactly that is. There's not really much logic to it in my mind. Yeah. I always kind of thought that too, like, especially even when we were growing up, like the American league always seemed to dominate. And I kind of assumed maybe it was just because there's more hitters over there. The pitchers, uh, while their stats may not be as elite as the National League pitchers, it's because they're facing like actually that DH they're facing uh, better, like that one extra big bat that the National League pitchers just aren't seeing. And I kind of thought that that's how it went. Um, but now that we do have even DHs, like if, I mean, if, if it wasn't for those back-to-back -back home runs with John Carlos Stanton and Byron Buxton, we might be talking about a different result with uh, the National League yeah. winning. But, yeah, I, I honestly don't really have much explanation. We'll see if uh, it continues to be this way, not the National League has a DH. And I believe, too, that uh, even in the All-Star game, like, they always have, like, a DH for the National League as well. Right. So it's not like the National League is without one at, when they're playing the game, at least. But I always thought maybe the American League – is the better one because they just got that extra bat and that's uh just what, how the teams are used to playing but right. it sounds like you, you kind of have this a similar interpretation yeah well and it's been weird because the national league's done quite well in world series in recent years so it's not like that american league is just loaded and that national league kind of sucks like you kind of see in the nba at times with the western conference has just been absolutely loaded eastern conference has been a little weaker on that end that's not really the case where you're seeing the nationals and dodgers win world series and the braves win world series and like even when they're not winning be extremely competitive with the american league team so it's not like you're seeing that huge difference in the conferences uh, i am glad that the all-star game doesn't count for home field advantage anymore i know <laughs> it's been a little while since it has but that was a terrible idea i'm glad oh i happening. actually liked that because i really? thought okay. i thought it, i thought it gave the teams like that little incentive like there's not much incentive to do well in the pro bowl and the nba all-star game as we were just kind of discussing but at least the american league and the national league collectively had something to play for like as small as home field advantage and world series is I, I kind of thought that that was cool that they did that and it made the game a little bit more competitive but doesn't sound like you're a fan of that no i was just kind of frustrated because i'm like man like that team like the two teams that ultimately play in the world series could have had like three players a piece on each team right and like had nothing to do almost with the outcome. And that would be incredibly frustrating if it's like we won 20 more games than that team. And yeah. They get the home field advantage because of something that the, the Mets pitcher did uh, That's that kind of yeah. like screwed us over. But one thing I did really like in the all-star game was uh, uh, John Smoltz talking to the pitchers and the pitchers being mic'd up. I love that. I thought that was awesome. I don't 
know if I'd want that in a regular season game, obviously, but I thought that was the pitchers were great talking to them, telling them what they were thinking with their stuff, what they're going to throw at the batter next. And Spoltz was giving his opinion to it. And just hearing him mic'd up, like brought a little bit more energy to the game. I was intrigued. I was intrigued by it. So. Yeah. Anytime you can kind of get like that extra kind of player interaction, just so you can kind of see their personality. I think that just does something for the fans and makes it a lot more exciting. <laughs> um, but also before the all-star game, we got a heck of a home run derby in. We saw yeah. uh, Julio Rodriguez just tear it up those first two rounds. We saw Albert Pujols upset Kyle Schwarber that first round and at least make it a little further than what maybe most people thought he would. And then we end it with uh, the Juan Soto W, which yeah. got a lot more interesting after we found out that the nationals flew him in on like coach at 1 30 in the morning and he comes out and wins a home run derby so i feel like there was a little bit of a chip on his shoulder there yeah uh what you got any kind of uh thoughts on the home run derby i love how they've changed the home run derby with it timed in recent oh, like recent years i mean the home run derby is awesome like how they've changed it makes it so much more interesting and like, yeah, it kind of sucks for Julio Rodriguez because he really deserved to probably win the home run derby, but that's how sports work playoffs and tournaments usually work that way too. You know, like you can play outstanding in one round, but you got to bring it the next one too. And I know Juan Soto got a little bit easier of a path there, but you know, I love how they have it set up rewarding long balls as well for added time. I thought it was super fun. I had that on, the entire time Albert Pujols that was cool I'm a Reds fan but I have a lot of respect for Albert he seems like just a solid dude one of the best I mean he's going to be a future Hall of Famer so that was cool to see him take out Schwarber in the first round just to you know you knew he wasn't going to win but even for him to advance at all was awesome loved it yeah Pujols one of my all-time favorites as well uh I do love the new format that they got. It does go quicker and there's more incentive for guys to just swing away. Like I, right. when the, the old format, you'd have guys maybe hit 20 total home runs and they'd be the champ. And now you're seeing like 20 home runs around. And if you're not getting to that 20 mark, it seems like you're not going to do too well. Like it is, it is a lot more exciting. It's a lot more faster pace. I love seeing the extra swings, I guess, from a player yeah. standpoint, like if you don't have a, a good pitcher, like you're kind of screwed. So you, you pick your pitcher. So you do. <laughs> so it's on them too, at the same time, if they don't pick a good one. Right. But, and like, you can't just watch them pitch away and just wait for your perfect throw. Like you got to swing, right? You swing it's <laughs> it time, may not be so perfect. Yeah. It may not be perfect, but you still got to swing. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta make that pitcher count. Pete Alonso's had a pretty good one the last couple of years and that's helped him win in two times. It would have been cool to see him win it a third time as well. It also would have been cool to see Julio Rodriguez uh, be able to pull off that W after the first two rounds he had. But yeah. I bring up the Derby because uh, I think more of the, like, a lot of the discussion around Juan Soto had more to do with his uh, contract situation than actually winning the home run derby. Uh, yeah. It was, I think he, it was reported he turned down 15 years, $440 million, which would have been the largest total contract in baseball history. But when you break it down and you total it up, he would have only been like the 14th highest paid player annually, like around 29.3 million. Right. And I assume he turned this down because he wants like Max Scherzer money. That guy I think is averaging 43 million a season and maybe had it been a 10 year contract for 440 million. He's accepting that just because right. of the annual pay. But I mean, it's a, 
that's a lot of money to turn down. And also since Scott Boris is his agent, I kind of want to ride the narrative that he just thinks that he's better than what he is and just wants out of the nationals, wants to get to a bigger city and so that Scott can make a pretty penny off of whatever contract that he gets. But it's crazy to think that, I mean, Juan Soto is only 23 years old. That's younger than me, at least being at 26. But uh, yeah, this it's kind of interesting what to think of where Juan Soto might go because he's still, he's not a free agent until 2025. So uh, where do you, what do you think of the Juan Soto situation? What do you think are some uh, maybe possibilities that he could go to? Because I imagine everybody's thinking the Yankees and the Dodgers right off the bat. Yeah. Well, with Juan, it's exactly what you said, Josh. Like the biggest issue there is not the overall price tag. It's the number of years. Mm -hmm. Um, There could be a few things at play. He wants to get to a contender quick and the Nationals have fallen off quickly since that World Series title. Part of that is you know, they do have the funds to compete, not maybe with the Dodgers funds or Yankees funds, but they can compete with Boston and Atlanta. And like we've Houston. seen Rendon leave. We've seen Scherzer leave. Right. We've seen Harper leave. Like, I mean, this was a World Series winner just a few years ago. Right, right. And so I think part of it might just be he wants to be on a winning team. And you kind of know, look at the Angels when they pay Mike Trout can you actually afford to put the pieces around him to make it a real contender? If Soto signs that contract, he might be getting paid, but do the nationals show that they can actually invest and put that money around to make the nationals a contender. And in 15 years, that's your career. He's locking in the entire career. He's not going to get a second chance at another contract. He might want a second chance at another contract. He might be more interested in five, six, seven years able to, you know, re-sign at 29 again with somebody else, get one more shot at the contract. You know, the way contracts are inflating and inflating, he might be missing out on a lot of money, honestly, with 15, you know, a 15-year deal. That might actually be like, as crazy as it sounds, it might really make a lot more financial sense to say no. Scott Boris also really likes his players to go into free agency and get bidding wars. So that could be happening too. Uh, but to answer your question, I think the Padres are in play. I think they're a big team. Uh, I think because they're going all in. And I know they already have some giant contracts. They really, um, I mean, they, I think Tatis has a 14 year contract right, right now too. Machado's on their payroll. Like they're swinging big for pitchers. I wouldn't be surprised though, just because their ownership has decided that they're going all in. They're trying to force open the window and compete with the Dodgers. I wouldn't be surprised. The other name that I keep hearing is the Cardinals. And that would be uh, interesting because that's kind of unlike the Cardinals to offer such a big deal. For real. I think there is a chance that this is not going to be matching the nationals. And this is going to be closer to just a few, a couple year deal, two, three years and reevaluating. I would not be surprised if that's actually like, he's young enough. You said he's 23 that he can sign a short-term deal now and take a real big swing at it later on. And, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of things at play here. I think those are too big. You can never fully say that the Yankees and Dodgers aren't involved at all. You can never say that with the amount of money they have spent. I just, I don't see the Dodgers really swinging big for another big hitter. I just don't think that's really their need. If anything, they need some more depth in pitching perhaps Uh, with the Yankees. They have to be concerned with Aaron judge's contract coming up, what you're going to do with him. I'm just not seeing Juan Soto really as connecting to those two. Um, I think even Philadelphia has been, loosely connected to Juan Soto, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at a deal that's not matching that 15 year, 440 million, but 
a shorter term deal with more money up front and then going off of that again. Yeah, I th- those are good points about the Yankees and Dodgers that I didn't think about the Yankees are still in kind of a situation where maybe they're going to have to pay Aaron judge similar amount of money. Cause I mean, he's having like a MVP season right now as we speak, right. but I also kind of wonder if there's maybe a team that would be willing to shell out a handful of prospects to try to be a contender. Now I'm thinking yeah. of like my Cleveland guardians for an example, maybe they shell out like seven <laughs> or eight prospects and try to win the world series in the next two, three years before Soto becomes a free agent. And there's no way that they're going to shout out the kind of money that it takes, but right. maybe there's that team that's like one bat away, like being on the brink and sure. But yeah, Cleveland, the- Cleveland would make sense for what you just said. They are, I believe Cleveland is not only the youngest MLB team. They are the, the youngest. youngest right now, yeah. I believe they're younger than most of the triple a teams that are on most of the <laughs> that exist. I want to say which, our average age for our players is like 24 or 25 or something like that, which is incredible yeah. for what they're doing and being in that race in the American league central. So you love that. And you know, these young players are producing and doing well. And part of it's because nobody wants to win that division apparently because the <laughs> twins or white crazy. Sox really should be winning that division no just doubt. based on age and what they're spending. I would love to see Cleveland do it. You know, uh, but they just rarely, like you said, shell out that kind of money or make that big sort of trade where they're giving away prospects. It's usually the opposite, but he matches them so well because he's young. He's a bat, which is always Cleveland's problem. It would be nice. They have the prospects that Washington would like, but I don't know. We just have to see. Yeah. You you basically just said everything that I was thinking too, like <laughs> having him in that outfield with guys like Steven Kwan, it would be awesome. Kind of fits like the younger mold and it gives us that extra bat because like pitching's never the issue in Cleveland. No. Like not too long ago, we had a rotation that had Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, and none of those guys are on the team anymore. And we've seemingly found a way to replace them all with guys like Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie. And the pitching is, I mean, doing incredible. It's just, we would, I would like to see the bats be more consistent. So I I doubt we'll make a trade for Juan Soto, but it would be cool to see it happen. And I do wonder if there's like a smaller market team that might just kind of make that trade with the hopes of bringing a world series in the next two, three years and just know that they're not going to keep Soto. Right. Right. Maybe let's just, let's just kind of throw random guesses out there. A team that like is in competition might be willing to shell out a little bit of cash. Maybe Toronto is interested in getting Mm. involved. That AL East is just insane right now. Baltimore never spend the money. So I'm not even going to mention them, but Toronto is small, but not that small. Maybe they could, maybe they could swing it. Who knows? Like, the Rangers, maybe they're in or Seattle, maybe those kind of teams are willing who are kind of in that ballpark could throw it out there and say, Hey, why not? Let's try this. Yeah. And I'd throw the twins out too, just because I think they yeah. do have the lead in the AL central right now. And maybe getting a guy like Juan Soto would confirm a first place finish in there, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where this dude ends up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I imagine if it's going to be somebody that's going to have the money, they're going to try to like sign an extension immediately. So kind of moving to another topic in baseball. We are, we, since we just had the all-star break, we are around the halfway point this season. And I'd like to revisit some of my predictions I had at the start of the season and kind of see how those are going. I'd also like to get your feedback on sure. uh, some mid-season awards. And we'll start with MVPs. 
we mentioned Aaron Judge being an MVP contender right now. To me, in the American League, he is at the top right now. First in home runs, first in RBIs, first in total bases, war, runs. He's second in OPS, slugging percentage, while also hitting a respectable 294. I, Off the top of my head, I think I went with Shohei Otani as my MVP just because it's like when you're pitching and hitting at that level, like being serviceable on both sides the way he is, I think he's got 20 home runs and a 280 ERA. Like being able to do both of those is super, super valuable. And I wonder at what point the voters will get tired of voting the same guy over and over again because it does happen. But the way that Judge is hitting, it's, it's really hard for me to ignore that. Yeah. I think I'd probably go with Aaron Judge just because of how special the season he's having. But everything you're saying about Otani is true. Like, and I have a hard time disagreeing with any of that. The only thing I have to say about that, and this is more of a ding on the Angels as a franchise than it is on Otani, but none of that's translating to wins. I think the saddest thing that I keep seeing uh, on my Twitter feed or watching SportsCenter is, oh man, like Mike Trout was three of five tonight and, you know, had a couple doubles and a home run and Otani like pitched like five innings brilliantly. And he had a home run too. And the angels lost to the Orioles eight to five and like, dang, man, like they have two players on that team. It feels like half the time and it is a team sport. And like, I, I have a hard time with the MVP going to a team that's really not even competitive in the playoff race. Uh, that's not fair to Otani because it's not his fault. It's not fair to Mike Trout. Uh, but with the special season judges having, I think that's just me giving him the slight edge there. Yeah, that's always tough. Like when you think of most valuable, like how many wins is what Otani's doing translating. But I feel like if you put Otani on New York, like and right. flip him for judge, would right. it be similar? It, it's probably. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that the teams would be too much different, but I think the Yankees being first in the American League too is just another thing that's going to add to Judge's argument, regardless of how you right. feel. Like it seems like the best player on the best team always seems to have like yeah. that edge. Like if all things are equal, but his team has a better record, that's kind of how it goes. But flipping to the National League, uh, who do you like out there? Because I, to me, it's like a clear number one, and then like a lot of other guys that are contending for like that runner-up finish. For MVP? For MVP in the National League. Mm. Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed the race this year because the Dodgers, like just the playoff race in general, the Dodgers just aren't running away with it totally like they have in the in previous years. And it's just a little bit more competitive. I have a hard time – like. I love my favorite thing about the national league right now is that Mets Braves race in the NL East. Uh, so I, you know, part of me says, give me, <laughs> part of me says, give it to, you know, the best player on whoever wins that race. Uh, I know that's not, again, <laughs> we just talked about that. It shouldn't necessarily always just go to the best player on the best team. Um, but I mean, the Mets, like everyone's kind of like, oh man, the Mets are blowing it again. And I'm like, no, the Braves are just on fire. They, they are. are. They've, they've heated up. Once the once Acuna crazy. came back, like, I feel like yes. that did something. Right. And so, man, I, I don't know. I have a hard time picking someone in the National League. I don't think it's as clear cut. Um, I, maybe that's not a, a, a <laughs> very like hot take at all. Uh, you know, I, Freddie Freeman's doing great on the Dodgers, but like it's the Dodgers. It's easier to hit on the Dodgers, in my opinion. Uh, right now, gosh, 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm like really torn between like three or four guys in the National League. <laughs> yeah. What, well, what do you think? What do you think, Josh? Well, I'll tell you who I think's the clear cut. And okay. You might not like this as a Reds fan, but I got to go Paul Goldschmidt because in the National League, he's first in batting average, total bases, runs, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, war, and he's first among first basemen in fielding percentage with just one error. Uh, he's also got uh, second in RBIs. He's fourth in home runs. Like, I, And I know the Cardinals may not have the record that the Braves or the Dodgers or the Mets have, as you just said, but like, it's, it's tough to find a guy that's doing what Goldschmidt's doing. And then kind of like, this, this is what I mean by like that run for the run up spot. Like you mentioned, Freddie, uh, I think uh, Austin Riley from the Braves also in that race. Uh, yeah. The best player on the best team. If that's the Mets, uh, you could throw Pete Alonzo in there. I think he's leading the way and runs batted in and uh I've heard uh, Mookie Betts kind of be discussed too, but sure. there's a lot of guys in the National League that are worthy. But I think I think Paul has the the clear cut lead right now, and then there's a lot of these other guys that are either fighting for that runner up spot or maybe could it overtake him as the season goes on. And it's been nice to hear. Like again, I'm a Reds fan, so I don't like the Cardinals very much. But it's been nice. Like I mean, I've had Paul Goldschmidt on uh, my fantasy team for like the last three or four years in fantasy baseball, and I always thought he was one of the most underrated players in fantasy, but in general, in real life too, he's been solid um, for so long. And part of that's just because he was in Arizona with the Diamondbacks for so long that you know the Diamondbacks and Rockies are just forgotten in the NL West with how dominant the Dodgers have been and the Giants are always good and the Padres are at least throwing cash out there. They are, yeah. And, and so like they're always forgotten. And so until he got to St. Louis, nobody really cared or was, was watching him. But he's been so consistent, so excellent. So it's actually really nice to see someone like him who's just not known as a star to get so much uh so much love. And you know, the NL Central this year is just the Brewers and Cardinals and there's yeah garbage at the bottom. And, you know, I'm a Reds fan, so I'm speaking about us, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't disagree with Paul Goldschmidt at all. Yes. Uh, sticking in the national league, uh, we'll move over to Cy Young and hopefully I don't butcher this guy's name, but I really like Sandy Alcantara. Uh, he's got the lead in innings pitched in ERA, which to me is like the, I mean, the, yeah. how do you do that? Like you, you're throwing all these innings and you're still managing to have like the lowest ERA in the national league. So, I mean, that's, that's tough to do, but he's also doing really well in quality starts. He's first in that he's first in whip. He's first in pitchers war and he's fourth in strikeouts and it's got the nine and four record to go with it. So I really like him for the lead right now. Yeah. And you know, one thing that usually really annoys me um, when people are talking about pitchers is uh, wins and loss record. That's probably one of my soapboxes about baseball, where it's kind of the equivalent of like the quarterback uh, win loss record. Oh, yeah. Like wins I, aren't a quarterback stat. Like they have something to do with it, but not everything to do with it. I think Jacob deGrom shattered uh, how much people cared about wins. Like yes. seeing this guy come out and throw like, eight innings and allow one run and still end up with the loss or a no decision because the closer blew it. Like now it's like, okay, I guess wins really don't matter. Yeah. And I think that was, help that's a great point. DeGrom helped with that, but it's just the same, like what you said, amount of innings pitched ERA. Those are real stats. They like quality outings. Those matter because you can lose a game one, nothing, and it counts as a loss. And you had an excellent showing your team should be able to help you out just a little bit. 
uh, you shouldn't be expected there. So Alcantara is definitely like really, really strong. Don't disagree with that at all. Again, it's Miami and I always have a trouble sometimes with teams that aren't very good um, doing that, but he is running away with stats that matter. Kyle Wright for Atlanta is a really good, he is leading in wins. So he's definitely going to get consideration there as well. Um, the Dodgers problem is those pitchers almost take away from each other. They're really hard there. There's so many um, options there. I think Gonsolin <laughs> has an 11 and 0 record and a 202 yeah. ERA, but I don't think the ERA counts because he doesn't have like enough innings to qualify for that. But I mean, that's another right. guy that that's you throw the pro- in there. That's the problem with them. They just like, they don't have to be pushed to pitch again quickly because they do have a lot of like potential uh, Aaron Nola. I think is also a really good guy with the Phillies to be looking at. I like him too. Yeah. I I think I, I would probably have Aaron Nola as my guy right now at this point, but Alcatara and how you finish the second half of the baseball season is so much more important. So like all of these awards that we're speaking of, I, I do think uh, Aaron judge and like Shohei Otani, when we're talking MVP and the AL is pretty like set aside, it would take kind of a fall for one of the two of them not to win that. But for most of these awards, I'd say right now is kind of what we're saying, but how you finish the second half of the season matters so much more than the first half. hundred uh, percent. Yankees are running away with it. So I don't expect that to really change, but you know, Phillies fall apart. Aaron Nola won't even be in consideration here. Miami makes a, a, a wild card run. Uh, Alcatara definitely is going to be the headline there. Maybe can really get, take the Cy Young then. So how your team does, does matter. Um, and that you're playing well on it. So uh, I think Aaron Nola would be my guy right now, but definitely not locked in. Yeah. One other guy, I think too, depending on like how those teams finish too, that you could throw in there's Corbin Burns. I believe he won last year or the year before one of those, but he's gotten one recently and he's still dominating out there as well for a first place team. So yeah, got to keep an eye on him. And then kind of flipping over to the American league, uh, Shane McClanahan started on the mound for the American league all-star team. And that's who I'd say maybe has the edge right now. Uh, again, first in ERA whip war for pitchers. He's third in quality starts. He's third in strikeouts. He's second in case per nine innings and he's got that respectable 10 and three record. Um, so there are some other guys though, and I'd be curious to see who you like out in the American league, but McClanahan, I don't think has the lead that maybe some of these other guys got in my book. Yeah. You have McClanahan, you know, who leads and wins is actually Verlander. So that's kind of fun. And like you do have to, it's kind of Tom Brady winning, you know, the MVP at a certain point, people do take into consideration that you're 38 years old and still doing what you're doing. And the Astros, you know, whatever you think about the Astros, I don't have great thoughts about the Astros, but they are a good baseball organization where they're bringing up great prospects. They're operating very efficiently. Verlander is supported and has good talent around him. Clearly. Uh, I think that will move some voters to be thinking about him if he keeps up that pace with the amount of wins he has 13 wins already he's having an outstanding year again wins aren't a real pitcher stat to me but i think the voters will take consideration of that uh talion i think for the yankees also really really good push there uh i think he's been outstanding he's been a bit of a surprise to me how good he's been the yankees in general have been they've been so hurt the last two years i almost just expected him to fall apart physically again (laughs) as they have been and they haven't been this year so good for them and then um i also think um excuse me 
Garrett Cole has also picked it up again. If we're talking to the Yankees, there's that problem though, with the Yankees and with the Dodgers, where you're almost taking away from one another. Right. I think it's going to be hard for any Yankee to win an award other than Aaron judge. Uh, but it's been cool to see the pitching staff for the Yankees actually come together and maybe they'll get even more fuller as they're uh, looking at getting one of my favorite guys from the Reds. Mm. Who would that be? Uh, uh, Gosh, I'm blanking right now. <laughs> um, right now, with the we're looking at the tr- potential trades. Uh, gosh, why am I? I'm completely blanking. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of who like on the Reds because um, I don't know too much about them outside of like Hunter Green and Joey Votto. Oh, right, right, right. Um, right now, they're looking at. Gosh. I'm sorry. I'm completely blanking on it right now. I'll bring it up. It'll, it'll come to my mind in two minutes here right now. The big, like, honestly, before Juan Soto was known to be on the trade block, uh, the biggest move that people have been looking for uh, is, you know, looking for Luis Castillo. Gosh, it popped mm. in my head. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I said he's one of my favorite players. And then I blanked on his name. <laughs> Luis Castillo, like he been so up and down with the reds. And of course, as soon as right before the, you know, all-star break. He has a fantastic game against the Yankees. Reds beat Reds beat the Yankees. They won the series, series even. Um, and of course, then the Reds fans are like, don't trade him. He's so good. And they're like, okay. But at the same time, for as a Reds fan, I'm like, okay, I would like to keep him. I know we're not though. So just actually get a good haul. The Reds are notorious for butchering trades and not mm. getting enough out of them where I would say, Cleveland is at least excellent at making sure that they get really, really good prospects when they trade their guys. We always do that. I really like the way that, I mean, I shouldn't say I like it because I wish that we would keep some of these star players that we get and just pay them because I think we got more money than what we act like. But that is true. We always get like one or two guys out of these trades that ends up being like our superstars in the next few years, only for them to have their contract run up and either sign elsewhere or we trade them. (laughs) That cycle continues with Cleveland. Right but they at least get really good young players out of it where I feel like the Reds end up just butchering it and hope, Hey, maybe our next crop of our own draft picks end up turning out. And sometimes they do, but oftentimes we lose them for pennies, which just leaves fans wandering and lost. So I don't look forward to that. All right, Johnny, stick it in the American League. I'd like to just wrap this up with uh, the rookies of the year. And I think in the American League, there's no argument for anyone else other than Julio Rodriguez, (laughs) especially especially after watching that home run derby. I mean, he's basically first in every category. I'm not even going to read it off. But the only one that's really notable that he's not first in is batting average, and he's hitting 275. So, I mean, I'll take everything else that he's been given the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, you saw everything you needed to see, I felt like, in the home run derby. Like, the crazy thing is he made more finishing second in the home run derby than he's getting paid this year. So uh, he's well worth it. Seattle Mariners fans have to be thrilled with that guy. Um, just seems like, uh, you know, one more young, extremely talented kid with energy can bring to the game, hopefully NF the uh, you know, MLB doesn't stifle that joy, which I feel like that MLB is notorious for doing. Absolutely. Uh, letting him have fun, enjoying his time. I, I, I don't understand how he couldn't be, you know, your headliner there. There's really no argument to be made for anybody else in my mind. <laughs> 
Yeah, some of my friends that are also Cleveland fans might tell me Stephen Kwan because he actually is first in batting average and on base percentage. But Stephen Kwan also is not first in, I will actually read these off, even though I said I wouldn't. He's not first among rookies in home runs, RBIs, stolen bases, hits, runs, OPS, or slugging percentage. So there, that's my argument for Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> so flipping to the National League, I think this is a lot more close. Um, personally, I am going with Christopher Morrow from the Cubs, but Brendan Donovan from the Cardinals and I think Michael Harris from the Braves also have solid arguments. But what I like about Morrow, uh, first in OPS, first in slugging percentage, first in hits, runs. He's second in batting average, second on base percentage, second in RBIs, second in stolen bases, fourth in home runs among rookies. Uh, but again, as I said, Donovan and Harris, I think both have uh, near equal arguments as well. Uh, so maybe like a three-headed race. And as this second half continues, we'll see if there's any extra separation that Morrill can add there. Uh, mm. But who do you like out there, Johnny? I mean, those those two guys I mentioned, I mean, yeah. you can't really like them too much as a Reds fan, I imagine. No, I can't. Um, the interesting thing, I think, always with Rookie of the Year is that there's a little bit more leeway typically given to pitchers just because a rookie pitcher really doesn't have much of a chance in a Cy Young battle. Uh, but you don't typically love giving the MVP award to a pitcher when they have their own award in the Cy Young, but Spencer Strider on the, on the Braves uh, has a really good chance. Uh, he's been quite good this year for the Braves and helping them make that run to catch up and now overtake the Mets, uh, you know, for a rookie being four and two, 2.87 ERA, a solid year for him. Again, it's one of those best player awards at times, but rookie of the year doesn't always have to be that way. That's, you know, you mentioned the Cubs, like the Cubs are terrible this year too. That doesn't take them out of that, like whatsoever. I think Mackenzie Gore, I mean, you mentioned Gore. I think he probably has really in my mind, the best opportunity to do so just because it's a contender. And while like Jonathan India on the Reds, they didn't make the playoffs last year. The Reds were in the race until the last few weeks of the season. So, and he was just, head and shoulders really kind of better than everybody else that had much of a chance there. So I, I think Mackenzie Gore probably has the best opportunity to win it. Uh, but right now I think I'd give it to Spencer Strider. I would also like to see Hunter Green eventually get in that conversation too. I think there's a couple yeah. things that uh, haven't really gone his way, but I think he was my at least preseason rookie of the year prediction. Sure. And depending on how this second half goes, maybe he could get in there, but I got to see him in person against the Rays and, you know, he gave up one run and there's still, you know, the Reds came back and won in 10 innings, but you know, they're down one. Oh, it goes went through 10 K's six innings. You can't ask for a whole lot more out of your rookie pitcher and you're right. losing, you know, you're losing one, nothing as what we talked about beforehand wins and losses aren't really much of a pitcher stat. I want to see that ERAs, how many innings they are pitching, what their strikeout rate is. 100%. Yeah. So that's a little bit on uh, our MLB award predictions, guys. Let us know in the comments uh, how correct we are or incorrect, and we would love to have a respectful discussion with you. But <laughs> uh, that'll wreck. Like I said, we'll recap baseball talk right there, and we will move on to a little bit of football talk because the Madden ratings have been coming out, and there have been some that I have been absolutely livid over. And I would like to kick it over to Johnny. Being a Cincinnati <laughs> fan, I imagine he's also a Bengals fan. And just how wrong did Madden get Jamar Chase's rating? You know, he's actually not the one I'm most upset about when it comes to Oh, no to kidding. Bengals. It's actually Trey Hendrickson. Um Trey has, I believe, the third most sacks in the league in the last two years. 
and it's just so horribly underrated. That whole Bengals defense really it is with that run to the Super Bowl. There are many times even in the playoffs where, you know, they're hanging on for dear life. The defense is now is an opportunistic defense. There's no one player on that team that you're like, oh, my gosh, they terrify me. The sum total is greater than the parts. But if you're going to give credit to anyone on that defense, Trey Hendrickson is the guy. Um, and so that was really frustrating. Um to see like his Madden rating really not reflect that and him not to be anywhere near the top 10 uh, when it comes to pass rushers, like, no, I'm not going to put him above Miles Garrett or Aaron Donald or anywhere near there, but for him to not be respected and put at least in the top 10 in ratings, like he's a 70, uh, like, I believe he's a 78. Anything starting with 70 for what you just told me that I, I didn't come across his rating, but that sounds unacceptable. Yeah. And so I just, I, that was the one I was most frustrated with. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. Where is he? He's an 83. It's still, it's still not good. Enough That's still pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. And it's more to me, I, I, instead of actually seeing the numbers on the Madden ratings, I care more about where they stack up with everybody. Sure. Uh, Cause when Joe Burrow got a 90, I'm like, ah, all right. But then he's number five and I'm like, great. Perfect. Like he's right in that range. In my, in my opinion, I'm like, that's great. That's right where I think he belongs. And that's my issue with Jamar chase. Like Jamar has to be in the top 10. And I don't understand. I, you're a Cleveland guy. I don't understand Amari Cooper being a, neither him. do I, that seems kind I just, of, I, I don't Maybe Madden 15 ratings would have had him there, but I mean, we're in, right. we're in 2023 Madden now and putting him at 90, the 10th best wide receiver. I thought that was kind of odd too. So I'm, I'm right with you there. I thought, I think Jamar last year statistically was one of the top five receivers. And I don't know if him being, uh, I think it was 18th best receiver at an 87 rating is more so Madden not wanting to just, I guess, overrate a guy who's only played one season. And so they're kind of like being cautious about maybe not boosting him sure. to like a 95 only for him to have a major sophomore slump or something like that. But sure. I mean, even watching him on the field, like his film's incredible. Like, I don't, I don't think that would happen, but I, I got to right. assume that it's just because he's only played one season. And so they're, they're not really in a rush to rank him too high, but still, I'm, I mean, if we're going to put on Mario Cooper, only explanation. Yeah. yeah. So that's the only explanation I can think of. I get like putting Cooper cup ahead of them, Devonte Adams, like those guys, absolutely. They have so many years to stack up and like make that argument. Cool. No problem. He is just a rookie. I do understand that, but not guys like Amari Cooper. I don't have any understanding of that. That doesn't make sense to me. He can play in the slot. He can play out wide. He can play a variety of spots at the wide receiver position. He's not a one trick guy. I think he deserved a little bit more respect there, honestly. Yeah. Uh, That's mainly the only, those two guys, Amari Cooper and Jamar Chase, that I thought was kind of odd in receivers. Uh, The only other ones that I thought were interesting were Debo Samuel being at 15th after the season he just had. Uh, C.D. Lamb being 24th with an 85 rating, which is on the same level as Deontay Johnson, which I think C.D. Lamb is incredibly better than. So, I mean, if you're going to put C at 24th, like Deontay has to be like way lower in my opinion. And then just kind of sticking with Steelers wide receivers, Claypool being at 78 after claiming he's a top three receiver in the league just was, I got a good laugh out of that, but that's, that's mainly ad receivers. I, I don't really have a problem with any of the other ones. I think a lot of them are arguable from that point. Yeah. Claypool is interesting uh, just from, you know, <laughs> it's those Steelers receivers, man. Like Deontay Johnson, like 
actually is the best wide receiver, I think, on that roster. But he has drop problems, like he like far too often. And Ben wasn't himself, like he's a shell of himself at the end of like his career last year. But I mean, he's dropping five yard slant patterns and it's just unacceptable. Claypool has no self-awareness and he does have a lot of fantastic physical attributes oh, that you want. In a I loved receiver. him at the combine. We saw yeah, that in his combine. Yeah. Absolute like, freakish athlete. But he doesn't have the personality that you're asking for. And he also has not shown the consistency to be a number one wide receiver. And so 78 might be a little harsh, um, but I understand the thought process and the logic. Uh, the problem I had, which is, you know, people always focus on, you know, quarterbacks anyway. So not to focus on quarterbacks, but I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers being at the top. Um, Dude, I'm right there with you. It, it doesn't translate to any postseason success. And it just doesn't, it doesn't. And I have no problem with Tom Brady being a 97, I think like now, like that might be a little high for him going into this year, but he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I really can't argue with that at this point. Why does Aaron Rodgers deserve the benefit of the doubt? He couldn't score or move the ball at home against the 49ers in the playoffs this year. And that's not, again, like that's a pattern at this point. This is not like a one-off, two-off thing. Like that's a pattern. And I know it's Madden rating, so it's not the most important thing in the world, but I think that should matter. And I, I just don't see Aaron, like I'm not saying he shouldn't be top five even or top 10. I have a hard time him being like up there at the top though. I would put a lot of quarter, uh, like several other quarterbacks in front of him personally. Um, I know he had an MVP this year. I don't think he deserves the MVP this year. Uh, I won't get into that too much, but <laughs> I, I thought I didn't agree with that rating either personally. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'd, I'd keep Aaron in the top 10, but being the second QB overall, just I don't think it it translates to what he's doing on the field. I think, I think guys like Mahomes and Allen, while they also haven't – I shouldn't say that about Mahomes. He has a Super Bowl recently, but Josh Allen, I guess. Like I hear everybody talk about the athleticism, like the huge arm gunslinger. He's big. He can move. Like I think Josh Allen could have been a little bit higher than he was. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the other thing about QBs too that I find interesting is that uh, at least in, when it comes to traits, like when we look at Tom Brady, uh, he's not the fastest QB in the league. He doesn't have the strongest arm. Maybe he doesn't uh, have like these athletic traits that might appear on a video game rating. And I think they gave him a 97, like as a way to kind of add those intangibles in, like you, yeah. how do you add leadership to a video game rating or right. like experience or the ability to read defenses or culture? Like you really can't do that. Like, I don't know what trait you would add to that in Madden. Like, is it awareness? It's not arm strength. It's not uh, any of these other things. So I think, I think he's one of the best QBs in the league and they just kind of maybe inflated some of his uh, abilities on the field to reflect him being the actual QB, just because you really can't do any of those yeah. other things. That's a great point. I mean, it's a video game, so mm -hmm. it's, it's imperfect to be able to add those traits, but that's also probably why I would have a guy like Russell Wilson ahead of Aaron Rodgers. Like I trust Russell as leading my team and making things happen at the end of games. And how many times have you seen Russell pull something off crazy in a fourth quarter to lead his team back to win when Pete Carroll only let him throw the ball 12 times until the fourth quarter. And now it says Russ go win the game for us. And he does, and he goes and finds a way to work some magic and win those games this year. I know he got hurt, but generally speaking, and 
honestly, I think it's foolish to think he's not going to go back to that with a great roster and support system in Denver. I would have a guy like Russell Wilson absolutely ahead of Aaron Rodgers too, because who would you rather have at the end of the game trailing? I'd rather have Russell Wilson. I think I would too. It's, it's going to be really fun to watch Russell, I think, because I just saw this uh, graph post on Twitter not too long ago about uh, like the most separation among teams receivers in Denver was like in the top five, I believe it might have been third uh, exactly, but like they didn't have the QB to get the ball to those receivers. And now that Russ is there, uh, as crazy as it sounds, going from like insane receivers of DK and Lockett, like Denver's receivers have really not been getting the credit because they don't have anybody throwing them the ball. And I know that's kind of a little of a rabbit hole off the Madden range, but I think we're going to see like a resurgence from Russ this season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was something like he's not injury prone. It's the first time he's really been hurt and he broke his finger. You know, like I, what can you do about that? Like you can't rip the ball. You can't throw it. It's really I'm not concerned. And that's going to be something that's easily recovered from. But in the moment, you can't help it. You can't fight through that. You can't grip a ball. You know, I broke my finger and I can't grip anything right now. So I understand it a little bit. You know, it, it there's nothing you can you can't fight through that. Uh, but at the same time, it's not something that's a concern going forward. And Russell's not that old. I believe he's 31. He'll be fine. He's going to be great. Yeah. And uh, just kind of wrapping up uh, things on the offensive side, the one position, like actually overall that I thought Madden did a pretty good job at was the running backs. Like the top five guys, they got Henry, yeah. Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Dalvin Cook. And I'm sure some fans will bring their bias into it and say Jonathan Taylor should be first. And I'm a, I'm a huge Nick Chubb fan. I think he should be one or two. But I mean, being tied for second with McCaffrey at 96, I'm not going to complain too much about it. I think they got those top five guys right. Uh, even the same with the six and ten. Like, uh I thought the, they got the top 10 guys, right? Uh, maybe you could argue that uh, Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones should have a higher rating. I think they were both uh, like in the high 80s, uh, but they, that might also be a reflection of them maybe not being as strong of runners. They're also really good receivers, and maybe right. Madden's ratings are more focused on the running back, like being able to have running ability. Yeah. I think the only issue I have there, and it's just a slight issue, is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and it's not because those ratings I don't think are reflective of his skill. The last two years, he's not playing. And so that's where, you know, people are still drafting him number one in their fantasy draft last year. And he's still like some people I still am hearing like draft him number one again this year. And so, like, listen, if he's out there on the field healthy, I don't necessarily disagree. But can you assume that's going to happen? And so right. I don't know how much Madden puts that into their ratings. So when it comes to just gifts and skills and abilities, I don't disagree with it. But as far as availability, he has not shown that. And so I would personally probably drop him a few spots on that list because of that in the last couple of years. But other than that, I agree with you. I actually really like the running back ratings. Yeah, I think I think that some of the guys that really haven't played a lot, like I think we saw that appear maybe in Saquon Barkley's ranking, like he's not in the top 10 and he's been a guy that when he's on the field, he's absolutely incredible. Maybe he has yeah. like top five talent in him, but we haven't seen him be able to go through a full season at full health. Uh, Deshaun Watson too, didn't play at all last year and he ended up being ranked 84. So I think in those two guys, we kind of see a little bit of that, uh, maybe uncertainty of how good they actually could be. Um, so it's yeah. interesting that McCaffrey hasn't had that or didn't have his rating really affected by that. That just must be how much, right. how skilled they think he is. 
And again, if he plays this year in a bad a, uh, NFC South, you'll see it again. You will. It's just about whether he's able to be on the field and out there. Yeah. Uh, kind of around the defense, just wrapping up kind of defense collectively, there were maybe just a couple that I thought could have been higher. Like I think Darius Leonard being at 90 uh, for being a three-time all pro in a, just four years in the league, I thought he could have been rated a little bit higher at linebacker. Uh, Max Crosby too, being only 87. I know his sack numbers may not be as high as like some of these other edge guys, but just watching him on the field just looks like he does a lot more, uh, maybe away from the ball or draw some attention. And I think now that the yeah. Oakland or not Oakland Vegas has Chandler Jones. Now we're going to really see him maybe boot, get a boost in his stats on the field, just because of how much teams are gonna have to pay attention to Chandler Jones. But, uh, yeah, they had Rashad Gary ahead of Max Crosby. And I was like, I don't think anybody yeah. would rather have Rashawn Gary than Max Crosby, but basically those are the only two defensive guys I thought could have been higher. Right. And that's where I pay more attention almost to like, yeah, like 88. Sometimes I'm like, that's a little low. And then I'll look and see at least where they're ranked. And that's the bigger takeaway that I have. I'm like, would people really say that they would rather have Rashawn Gary than Max Crosby? Yeah. Like maybe, like, maybe all these other, that. maybe all these other edge guys that are ahead of Max, like you would take over Max. And then the rating is just kind of like, eh, well, at least they got everybody that he's better at below him. But right. The order's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did, I did not make a note of how he was ranked just because the list that I was finding, it was like, they got uh, some of these guys that I would consider more of like a defensive lineman. They got ranked as an outside linebacker. And it's just like, it's, they got like the way that they position some of these guys is interesting to me. Like Aaron Donald, I think is an edge and, Sometimes he's a defensive tackle, and I think they got T.J. Watt as a linebacker, and I think of him as more of like an edge. So it's, it's, it's tough yeah, to really yeah. say. But it's hard when you play those different styles on defense too. Like yeah, like some some guys player. are running three four or four three, and right, yeah. But uh, if we don't have any other players to talk about in Madden, Johnny, I'd like to kind of shift uh, to the NBA and talk about maybe the last domino that needs to fall for the NBA offseason to be complete. And that is Kevin Durant with the Brooklyn Nets. Like I think most of the big name free agents have been signed at this point. We've gone through the draft and summer league and we still have that KD trade request that uh, we're kind of waiting on to see what happens because Kyrie Irving also might be on the market as well, but it came out today that he wants to play for the Nets, regardless if Kevin Durant's there or not. So plus right. with the contract that he has and, the, and him picking up his player option, I don't know how many teams would be really fond of paying him $36 million a year, given that uh, some of the arenas he still can't play in because of his vaccination status and also the uncertainty with his health that uh, is just kind of like something that comes and goes. But KD wanting to get out after, I mean, first off let's just talk about the brooklyn big three that everybody thought was going to win titles for years to come and how it didn't even last the full season and we've seen harden get traded like after just playing a couple games with these guys and now kevin durant looks like he's gonna be the next guy to leave and brooklyn's done this in the past where they traded for paul pierce kevin garnett jason terry uh brooke lopez was there darren williams was point guard and jason kidd was head coach and that team was supposed to be a problem and i don't even think they made it two full seasons either yeah yeah i this is one of the things that I actually said, and I called it right off the bat. And I said, these are the most four, well, it's four, including Ben Simmons now of the most temperamental players in the entire league. 
putting them they're on all iso guys together. they're all iso very ball dominant yes they all have like their i guess your attitude slash character issues and yeah i don't and know I, how that flows in an offense right and that's a bigger deal than i think people made of it they just saw on the court they're like oh my goodness this could be unstoppable unbelievable and i don't even necessarily disagree if they all work together in that look Kyrie Harden and Kevin Durant could have been incredibly difficult with having guys like Patty Mills and Joe Harris on the outside, being able to help and facilitate all of that. I, I Nick Claxton's a great defender. Like I think that team had a lot of potential, but they couldn't get out of their own way personality wise. And you have a young head coach who like, I think Steve Nash could end up being a really good coach, but this is not, the scenario or environment for him to thrive where you have Kyrie literally leading his own practices after Steve Nash conducts a practice. That's absolutely like have, crazy. Like you have guys undermining him totally. I mean, Kyrie said, we don't really even need a coach. KD can do it one <laughs> game. I'll do it the next. Like you can't have guys completely undermining them that way. Like, Kyrie is like has the best PTO in world history. He decides when and where he wants to play, when and where he wants to. You know, like the vaccine's part of it, but he's also just gone MIA whenever he wants. And you can't have that within a team structure. Nobody's going to react well to that overall. If you have some actual legitimate reason or an injury, that's okay. But he'll just go off and do his own thing whenever he wants. Kevin's actually the most stable pot guy on this team because you know he at least wants to ball and he's going to show up if he's healthy. Harden showed up in Houston completely like overweight, out of shape. And like, I know he loves balling, but like he's not been committed in the off season and he's not going to be an aid when it comes to team dynamics. So I, I thought it was doomed to fail. I was almost surprised how well it did, uh, you know, uh, against Milwaukee, almost taking out Milwaukee when they won the NBA title. Uh, but with those temperamental guys and them all having to sacrifice something for the team aspect to work, I just never saw it happening. Enter in Ben Simmons now instead of James Harden. I think it's worse. Uh, ben Simmons is the most apathetic player in league history, perhaps. Uh, I don't believe he even really wants to play basketball. Uh, I mean, it is a mess. Uh, it's been a dumpster fire. Uh, it's still a dumpster fire. I, I don't even like it sounds like Kyrie opted in, so they might be stuck with him. Doesn't sound like trade negotiations are going super well. Although we heard the Celtic news today, I, I don't know if it's going well with Katie either. They might be stuck for another year. The three of them now in Brooklyn, so it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, like uh, I think it's a big W for the NBA that these super teams aren't winning. Like you could yeah. look at the Clippers situation. I mean, they were supposed to be running the league with Kawhi and Paul George, and that hasn't been the case either. So I personally love it when these big three teams fail and you're seeing teams yeah. that are more, I guess, built through the draft, like the Warriors and the, as much as I hate the Warriors, but the Celtics and yeah. the Bucks and the Nuggets, like, and even the Suns, like most of their guys are all built through the draft and they've oh, been yeah. keeping them. And I'm hoping the Cleveland Cavs can kind of do the same thing here. They got a pretty good right. core with Garland and Evan Mobley, but to stick on KD, like I think the nets are just going to be asking too much. Like I know Donovan Mitchell is kind of on the block right now. And if, the if you're going to give up the same amount 
of, I guess, Hall to get one of those guys, I would rather it be KD because even though it's going to be for a shorter window, that's a guy that's capable of leading you to a championship. And Mitchell, I'm, I mean, he could still get good, but I don't know if he'll ever uh, become a guy that's capable of leading a team to a championship. So I think the Boston trade failed just because if I remember right, because the Nets also wanted Marcus Smart and a couple more picks in addition to Jalen Brown and everybody else that they wanted. And I think the Nets just got to kind of, uh, they're never going to get what KD's actually worth because right. of the fact that, you know, he's in his mid thirties. He's also had some issues with his health now. And I don't think teams are really willing to give up a ton of players and picks for a guy that might only have two years left of his prime. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with that. And you know what really kind of screwed them in this is Rudy Gobert's trade. Mm. I could not believe what Minnesota gave up to get Rudy Gobert. That was a lot. (laughs) Brooklyn saw that and said, well, shoot, Katie's better than Rudy. We got to get get, more than that. We got to get more than that. And I don't think they're getting offered really what Minnesota gave up as far as picks. Uh, I believe Minnesota basically gave up five first round picks for Rudy Gobert, which is a massive haul. And if you're Utah, you're like, I don't trust Minnesota to actually run this properly. These might be halfway decent picks. And and so like when you see that Brooklyn, that was almost the worst thing that happened for Brooklyn because now they're asking prices so astronomical that like, if Phoenix wants to do it, they have to gut the roster. They do. I think, I think then Brooklyn's going to want a guy like Devin Booker to come right. in that trade. But if you're giving Devin Booker up, what's the point? Right. Because what's the point of making the trade there. Yeah. So that's, like, that's the issue. Like with all of this, where every team has to gut themselves to get KD, but that's not the point. You want to get KD because he's the last piece and you understand you have to give up your depth and picks, but like if you're the Suns, you want to find a way to keep Chris Paul, Devin Booker and KD and then, yeah, you'll figure out the pieces around them. But there's no way the way Brooklyn's talking, they're not doing it without Devin. So it's it's complicated and they're asking too much, and which makes me think it probably won't happen. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix, Phoenix is one of those teams that I think uh, would be in that running just because they are like just so close. Like they've right. they were the one seed the last two years and they don't have any finals to show for it. And if I'm Phoenix, like maybe I'm willing to part ways with Chris Paul, uh, Cam Johnson and Michael Bridges and some picks, but that doesn't seem like anything that Phoenix is going to want. And it's also, since you brought up Rudy Gobert too, that might also be why the jazz are, they say they're entertaining trades for Donovan Mitchell, but they want seven firsts for him. And I don't even think I'd give up seven firsts for KD. Like the fact that Gobert got those five is really going to hurt some of these guys that we're trying to make a trade. I think it's almost going to hinder the NBA offseason in general, like just because they're all playing that comparison game. And Minnesota was just so desperate. They got just a hint, a glimpse of some sort of success. They finally made the playoffs and they're desperate. They're desperate and said, we're going all in right now. When Now I think Rudy's really good. He's not worth that. And with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, you can build around that. I didn't think it was necessary to be that desperate for Rudy. I know, you know, Towns isn't the greatest defender in the world, so he will cover up some blind spots there. Uh, he definitely makes the team better, but you're losing a lot of your ability to make the team better in the future as well. Uh, but what you said at the beginning, Josh, I, I completely agree with. It's been. I think it's good for the league. The league is kind of coming full circle 
where teams like even, you know, there's all, every single team, even if they're mostly built through the draft, has some sort of free agent or trade acquisition. You know, Andrew Wiggins wasn't on the, a draft pick from the Warriors, but we don't hammer them for that because every team has some sort of role player acquisitions. We just don't want to see all these giant super teams to where only three, four teams matter in the league, and we don't really care about what's going on. Seeing Atlanta get good organically, Dallas organically, Cleveland starting to get good organically, Phoenix, Chris Paul's their only free agent acquisition, Denver. These have some of the highest TV ratings in the last year. They're all top 10. And so Minnesota, that is almost like most of that until this Rudy trade, most of that was – you know, a natural organic Milwaukee, you know, they went and got drew holiday, but the rest of that team is mostly draft picks. Like fans feel more built in. Like they know these players, they've seen them improve and get better. They're almost part of the city. They're more invested. They love these guys. They want to see them succeed rather than it almost feeling like free agent mercenaries going here and there to the best opportunity to win a title. They want to see, these players grow up and go through their growing pains and get better and just be invested in the city. And that's why you saw Phoenix have incredible ratings. I think Cleveland had the number two ratings on television this year for the regular season, which is incredible. It tells you how much they love basketball. Uh, You know, they came up just short of making the playoffs, but they still had the number two ratings despite that. Yeah. Cleveland supports their teams. I tell people that all the time. Don't, don't let the small market fool you, but yeah, the, 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 the building aspect, I think, is going to become the new NBA after seeing all these super team like experiments just fail. I mean, how many times did we hear that Boston uh, was rumored to be like trying to get a big superstar in exchange for like Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and just ruin what they were building just to like try to win now with like a super team? And they didn't do it. And I mean, we're, I think we're starting to see that pay off now. Like those guys just made it to a finals with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum leading the way. Uh, but just to conclude the, the NBA talk, Johnny, if you had to bet, does KD get traded before the season starts? And if so, where to? I would say he doesn't get traded. Uh, I think Brooklyn's asking too much. I think he's going to get stuck. I think Brooklyn's going to be an interesting uh, slow burn, uh, not just a giant dumpster fire this year. I think it's just an accident waiting to happen with Ben Simmons and Kyrie and Kevin and seeing how they all fit and interact together. I'm not even sure it's a great basketball fit. It's a lot of talent on the same court, so it should be good, but we'll see how that goes. If he is traded, I would expect it to probably be Miami. Mm. Um, I know Boston's been talking, but I think Boston's really hesitant to trade for KD, give up Jalen Brown with that, and have it a lot of additional pieces as well. I think they'd be willing to give up Jalen if it, they got KD and throw in some picks and maybe a couple role role players, but they're not willing to give up Jalen and Marcus Smart and you know some of their like they're not willing to do that. I think Miami uh, would be willing to basically give up the farm except Jimmy Butler to get KD. So I don't think he gets traded, but if he does, I'd say Miami. 
Miami is a good guess. I would also agree with you that he's not going to get traded before the season starts. Maybe uh, we see something happen in the middle of the season, or maybe he just, you know, goes into free agency. But Miami, I think if they could keep Bam and Jimmy and add KD, that that might be enough to put them over that edge, over a healthy Milwaukee Bucks team, a healthy Boston Celtics team to maybe get that that ring that they've just been scratching at. But uh, we have you for a few minutes, Johnny. I know you got to record with uh, Aaron for fifth and goal, but just would like to wrap up our discussion with the little bit of tennis talk and take advantage of your tennis expertise that you were just talking about. We kind of have a race right now for uh, the greatest of all time between Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, and Roger Federer. And uh, we just had Wimbledon. Uh, It looked like we might get a Nadal Djokovic final, but unfortunately Nadal suffers the injury and ends up getting uh, eliminated because of that. But we also aren't sure how far Djokovic is going to go because he can't even compete in the U.S. Open. He's really limited in the amount of tournaments he can compete in. And maybe health is finally taking down Nadal. But I just have a question about, like, have we ever seen this in tennis? Like, can old guys, like, dominate this sport? Because to me, tennis has always been, like, that young man's game. And, I mean, I know – listening to one of your guys last episodes there are some other guys that are out there that are young and upcoming but they just don't seem to be able to get over that edge to win any of these grand slams yeah the only time they really seem to get out like find a way to steal almost it feels like they're stealing a grand slam is because Djokovic and Nadal aren't competing in it (laughs) um you know Nadal's the king of clay he like he owns the French Open, fourteen titles I believe at this point. Just absolute insane insanity. He's in the lead with twenty two right now. Djokovic at twenty one. Federer at twenty. Federer is is the oldest of the group. He's probably done winning majors at this. I point. think I he's, saw he's on ranked right now for the first time in like you know yeah. decades or something crazy. Just with his injuries, he hasn't been playing, and so uh, you know he'll play again. I I think he hasn't announced his retirement, but his days of winning a major, which is sad for me. He's my personal favorite, uh, but he's the oldest in the group. He's probably not going. Uh, going to be able to do that. Nadal was so fun to watch in Wimbledon. Um, just overcome in the quarterfinals, you know, he had, I believe a three inch tear and a muscle in his abdomen. And he yeah, played that's through crazy. That. He finished that out and won. <laughs> finished in five set tie break to win. That was fantastic. Even with him beating the American there. Um, but, you know, with sports injuries, sometimes you're able to get that adrenaline in the moment and finish out, but then you finish and then you're trying to ramp up for the next one. And your body's telling you no. And so that was sad to see him not be able to play Kyrgios and uh, then not get to face Djokovic there in the final. I think that would have been phenomenal. Uh, Djokovic, like you said, won't be able to compete in the U.S. Open. We have to see if Rafa is going to be healthy enough to compete. So there's a real good chance of a non-big three winner uh, in the U.S. Open, really, because of that great opportunity. Uh, This is unprecedented. And it's absolutely insane to say that the three best players perhaps ever in tennis are all playing at the exact same time. I don't think we appreciate how absurd this is that in like one sport, imagine if the three best quarterbacks ever were all competing in the exact same era. Um, the three best basketball players competing in the exact same era. Uh, it's, it's madness. It's a little unique because, you know, tennis is the four championships. 
uh, for majors throughout the year, um, but they all have had far ranging success. They're all better, a little bit better than the other person, depending on whether you're playing on clay or grass or hard court. Uh, and it's just been incredible. You know, Nadal, uh, Federer is just a little bit older than them. Rafa is kind of in the middle and then Djokovic is younger, but it, it's just been so, so cool to see all three of them compete together at the same time and, and still dominate really three generations worth of tennis players. Normally you get to 32, 33 and you're starting to fade out. And these guys are going hard after it. Uh, it's, it's just been phenomenal to watch their dominance and specifically, you know, Rafa in the French open and uh, Djokovic at Wimbledon and Roger on the hard court. It's, it's been really, really fascinating to see. It's going to be hard to appreciate it really. I think fully until uh, we're well beyond and they do the 30 for 30. Uh, based on these guys. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up with those most majors with Djokovic being limited in what he can compete in, Nadal perhaps finally having health catch up to him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a little bit interested in tennis more than usual just because I think these guys' careers are coming to an end and we're going to get that answer concluded for sure. But, Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. You're a real MVP for doing back-to-back podcasts with us and then with Aaron after this. But uh, can you go ahead and plug in your social media so all of our listeners can find you and uh, all of our friends at Fifth and Goal? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so fifth and goal at Twitter. Uh, so just hop on that. Uh, sometimes those are my thoughts, uh, but at gaunt Johnny and Twitter is also uh, my page there. So that's when I spew out my random thoughts especially during sporting events. So uh, that's more Johnny unfiltered. So you guys will appreciate that. Argue with me. I love it. Um, hit us up there. Uh, fifth and goal is on Instagram as well. Facebook. Um, you know, all the social medias that we have other than Snapchat. So uh, <laughs> anything that you guys are on, we have it. We have our website as well, where we're releasing articles. Uh, we've been kind of looking at college football, some of the live golf stuff um, as we uh, get closer to some of those things really ramping up here. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on world of sports. We're trying to cover all of it. Sounds good. And thank you again for joining us, Johnny. Uh, we are, we love the guys over at fifth and goal. So definitely go ahead and check them out on all those social medias and uh, be sure to check some of our past interviews. We've been having some great guests on Johnny included. We've interviewed uh, guys like Chris Drew uh, from Menace to Sports. We've had David Cohn on from the Daily Wire. We just did one with Joe DiTullio from the Game House and James Yoder from Chat Sports Michigan Football Report. And it was great to have another great guest like Johnny on from fifth and goal. So hopefully we continue to have cool guests like this on. I believe once Ben comes back next week, we're going to be joined by some more guests uh, still to be determined so that we don't, uh, we don't want to leak those out yet just in case they don't happen, but we do have some more guests coming in guys. And just would like to thank Johnny one more time for joining us today. And uh, if you guys want to check us out, of course we are on Spotify, Apple podcasts and YouTube. Uh, but again, yeah, thank you again, Johnny, for joining us. And until next time, guys, we'll see you.